We've been in this series of messages called That's a Great Question, and we've been discovering that there are a lot of people in our world today that are very skeptical about God, that they either don't believe there's a God or if there is a God that they don't need him in their life. Today is the last message in this series, and I want to talk to you about yet another reason why people become skeptical about whether there's a God. The reason why they become skeptical is because of the people who represent him. Let me say that again. One of the reasons why people become skeptical about God is because of the people who represent him. People who call themselves Christians, people who are a part of the church. And what happens is these people, they don't feel like those Christians are living a life that would represent God well if there is a God. I mean, if there is a God, certainly God's better than what I see in these people and who they claim to be. And they cop an attitude about God because of people who claim to know him. The church, Christians, shouldn't be used as reasons and excuses not to believe in God. Instead, the people who are a part of the church should be used in helping people find their way to God. But we know that many, many people are not finding their way. In fact, we can look at the statistics and see what's happening even in the world of church to see that things are radically changing. Gallup did a study, and back in 2020, they discovered this, that for the very first time, there were less than 50% of the people in America who were members of churches in our country. In fact, it was 47%. And it was very enlightening because of the drastic change that had happened over the previous 20 years. In 1999, 70% of people in the United States were members of churches. They were active people engaged in church life. But now, 20 years later, it's 47%. What's also really interesting about that study is that prior to 1999, going all the way back to the 1940s, it's wavered between 76% and 70% all of those years. And then 1999 on, there was a 23% drop over the next, next few years. Why is that? Why are so many people turning away from God and turning away from the church? You know what that's called? That's a great question. Isn't that a great question? That is a great question. And before I help answer that question, I want to share with you some basic information about the church. In fact, I want to give us a working definition of the church to help us get into this. So on your outline sheet, let's go ahead and look at it. The definition's already there. All you have to do is to write in the word church, okay? It's that simple. What is a church? A church is a group of people who are putting forth effort to become more like Christ in order to function as his body for the purpose of showing God's love to others. Basically, it's this, that we work together to show God's love to people so that they discover what life really is all about. Life is about a loving relationship with God. Where does this definition come from? Well, Paul told the people and talked to the people at the church of Ephesus about what church is and what church does. 
We read it in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. It says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we, talking about the church, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What is its work? Its work is to show God's love in hopes that people who don't know him will discover that God loves them, that he cares about them, that they matter. Because we as the body of Christ show that love as we serve them in their place of need. They figure out that there's someone who really does care about them because we're doing the work that God called us to do. That is the role of the church. We are God's love agents. Let me say that again. That is the role of the church. We are God's love agent. Jesus came to show love to people in hopes that people would have a relationship with God. And they did, many of them, because they discovered just how much Jesus loved them. And we're to be doing the exact same thing. Who wouldn't want to be involved in a church who was doing that, right? The problem is, there are many people who call themselves the church who aren't doing these things. They're doing things very different than what God called us to be as his agent of love. And that's why so many people turn away from it. So I want to answer this first question about why people don't attend church. So on your outline sheet, let's write the question down. Why do people choose not to attend church? Let me give you some, some answers for that. The first answer to that question goes along with what we've been learning these last several weeks. Number one is that they're skeptical about God. They don't believe in God. It might be for the reasons that we've talked about over these weeks. Or they don't believe they need God. Why go to church if you don't believe there's a God or don't think you need him? You won't go to church. So that's number one. Number two, they have an issue with the evil that has happened in our world in the name of Christianity. There are some people see what people have done in the name of Christianity in the past, and they say, that's not love, that's evil, that's hatred. There's a there's a, an, an atheist who wrote about this, and he made this statement. He said, Christianity has, by certain people, been used throughout history as an excuse for some of the most brutal, heartless, and senseless atrocities known to man. The historical examples are not difficult to recall. The Crusades, the Inquisitions, the witch burnings, the Holocaust. Then he went on to say, I did not see much in Christianity that I considered to be worth the having. We hear that God is a God of love, but we see these people who are doing these things that are not loving, that are harmful toward other people. Those two messages don't go together. In fact, it leads to the third reason why people don't attend church. People don't look to the church. They believe that people in the church are hypocrites. How many of y'all have ever heard that before, right? I mean, that's the common thing that we hear all the time. So what is a hypocrite? Let's give a definition for it. On your outline sheet, just write in the word hypocrite. Here it is. A person who pretends to have virtues, moral or religious beliefs or principles that they do not actually possess. Especially a person whose actions are not consistent with their stated beliefs. They're hypocrites. Now, for us, we can understand it this way. We're supposed to be people who are loving, but if we're not loving, we're hypocrites. 
If we say we're loving and are not loving, we're hypocrites. If we say that we're one thing, but we are not that person, we're not telling the truth and we're being hypocritical. If you look in the Bible, we see Jesus say a lot about hypocrites and the problems that hypocrites have. Let's look at some of those. One is this, on your outline sheet, fill it in. The hypocrites decide for themselves who is spiritual and who is not. He made reference to this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, which says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You, what? Hypocrites. You hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. What we know is that Christianity is for everyone, that Jesus came to give his life for everyone, all of us. None of us are perfect. All of us are imperfect. Yet for some people engaged in the church or engaged in the name of God, try to make themselves out to be better than they actually are. And they come up with criteria about people who should be accepted by God and people who should not be accepted by God. I mean, it happens even today. Let's think about it related to the Pharisees. This is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees believed that you were accepted by God if you followed the law. So they talked a lot about following the law. They bragged about following the law. They even went a step beyond what God had said. God gave the law, but these Pharisees decided we're going to create more laws, and they came up with other laws on their own to say not only can we do this, but look, we can do these things as well. Look how great and awesome we are. It's really interesting to look to see how they did all this because we know none of us are perfect. Do I have a witness from anyone out there, right? They made it seem like that they were doing all these things. As far as everybody knew that they were doing all these things, however, we know it wasn't true. They were also measuring people according to other ways. They accepted people if they were wealthy. If you have enough money, we accept you. You're a special person. Yes, be a part of who we are. They accepted people because of their ethnicity, of their race. They accepted people because they were Jewish. They wouldn't accept people who were Gentile people. They accepted people because of their influence, because you're in this position of authority or this position. You're better than other people, and we accept you as a person to be a part of who we are. You feel welcomed. But what about the person who doesn't live up to those expectations? What about the person who's different than that? I mean, we can apply those very same things that they did in their day to people in our day. What if you're a person who knows that you have problems and there are things that you're doing wrong and that you're broken and that you need help because you keep doing bad things? Well, you're probably not going to feel really accepted in a place where everybody's bragging about how great they are. What about you if you're a person who doesn't have a lot of money and don't have a coat and tie to put on or some nice dress or nice shoes to show up in the place where everybody else is dressed so well and you see this and you don't feel accepted or welcome because you don't look like everybody else. You don't have as much as everyone else. What about you if, if you're that person who... Uh, is of a different skin color and you walk into a church and there are people who are all the same, they have all the same look, their skin all looks the same and you look at that and say, wow, I don't fit in and I'm not accepted. What about if you're a person who doesn't have a job or if you're not 
involved in something of influence and don't have any kind of, of reach beyond yourself. And what if that's you? And you see all these people who are known in the community and you walk in and how do you feel? Do you feel accepted? I'll just say this. I wouldn't want to go to a church like that because I'm a broken person. I'm a person who's a sinful man. We are all sinful, saved by grace. Do I have a witness out there about that? We need to be people who are accepting of everyone, no matter how much money they have, because you can have it today and it'd be gone when? Tomorrow, right? We can have all the influence in the world and our influence be shattered because of something. We can look at all these things, yet God still loves us anyway. Do the people in the church make me feel like God still loves me anyway? That's the problem with many churches. They don't feel loved anyway. Love sees past all of these things and sees the person that God created and desires. Here's another thing about hypocrisy. Jesus taught this, that they use God to promote themselves. It's really about them, not uh, about others. Life is supposed to be about others, and the way we do it is we bring attention to ourselves, and he even gave an example of that. We read it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce, announce it with trumpets. So the hypocrites do in, uh, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others, truly I tell you, you have received their reward in full. They want others to see them in a certain way. They want to be trusted by people so that they can use others. That's what they try to do and try to make people feel like they are who they are. But the reality is they're people who are very, very different. In fact, that's the third thing that Jesus taught about. He said this, they say one thing and do another. We read about this in Matthew chapter 15. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We say one thing and we do another. We know where our heart is because our actions reveal the condition of our hearts. We say we're a righteous person, but we are doing things that are not righteous. We act one way when we're at church, and then we act another way during the week, and we're labeled as hypocrites because we show other people the real nature and condition of our hearts through who we are during the week. They see who we are. But what if we were people who are broken? What if we were people who are sinful, and we know that we're sinful, And we go to church and we find help at the church. And during the week, people know that we go to church, but we are open and honest with those people who know that we go to church. And we say something like this, I am so broken. I am so messed up. I've gone to church to try to find help, to help me in my time of need because I want to be different and I want to be changed. I'm not trying to make you think I'm somebody I'm not. I want you to see who I really am. I'm a person in need of a God who loves me anyway. That's not hypocrisy. That's not hypocrisy at all. In fact, that's somebody who's speaking the truth about who we all need in our lives. But we spend so much time trying to fake people out, making them think we're somebody that we're not. Here's another reason why people don't go to church This doesn't have to do with skeptics. This actually has to do with people who are Christians. 
They don't believe they need to attend church to be obedient to God as Christians. Not only do people feel that way today, we see it all the time, but people definitely felt that way in the time of the writing of the Bible. We read about that in the book of Hebrews. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, it's the second time it says, let us, let us, talking about the church, let us hold unswervingly. Everybody say the word unswervingly unswervingly. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us, it's the third time it says it, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. They were having the exact same, same, same problem back then that we have today. There were those people who were in the habit of no longer going to church, no longer meeting with other people. Why? Because some people just don't feel like they need to go to church and be a good Christian. Y'all, I've heard that from many people in the past, but what this scripture just teaches us is it teaches us what happens if we don't go to church, if we don't go with other people and experience community with them. Again, three times it used the phrase, let us. Us is a community word. Us is the church. So let this community of people, of believers be together. Why? Because if I don't go to church, I'm gonna become a terrible spiritual driver. That's what it just said. Let us hold unswervingly. Did y'all get it, the spiritual driver, the unswervingly? The whole tactic I used to get you to say unswervingly a while ago, is it all making sense now, all right? Let us hold unswervingly. In other words, let us not get off of the pathway that we're supposed to be on. If I'm with other people, they're gonna help me live the life where I'm on the road and I'm not swerving. What causes me to swerve? My life is supposed to be about what I give, and not about what I get. Let me say it again. My life is supposed to be about what I give and not about what I get. Satan wants us to to live a life, one that we're trying to get things constantly from this world and from other people. That's what he wants us to do. If I forget about other people, I stop thinking about giving and all I'm thinking about is getting. When I'm at church with other people, they're reminding me of the importance of other people and putting them first so that I stay on the pathway that God wants for me. Here's the other thing. It helps me continue to show God's love for other people. When I'm with other people, they're, they're encouraging me to be a person who serves and, and to show the love of God to other people because that is the purpose of the church. We are God's love agents. When we get together, we're to help each other, encourage each other to be out there and serve other people. If I don't go to church, guess what happens? Many times I stop serving other people and I start serving myself. So let me say it again. If you don't attend church, let me just say it very frankly. I don't want to get in your car. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want to, I don't want in your car. Your spiritual car, because 
chances are you're going to start just thinking about what you're getting and not what you're giving, and you're going to start serving yourself and stop serving other people. And that is not who we're supposed to be as people, to lead people to love God. So why should we attend church? That's a great question. Let's look at it. Why should we attend church? Let me give you some answers for that. First of all, it helps me to draw near to God. We just learned it in the the scripture that we read in Hebrews. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, being forgiven of our sins. We are people who have been forgiven. Our hearts have been made pure before God. They've been made pure. We've accepted what Jesus did for us through his death and through his resurrection. We have become saved. This is how it works to draw near to God. We're to lead somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God. First of all, to know there is a God and God loves you. You matter. The way they discover that and they the way they come to believe that is because we as people who are the body of Christ we do things to serve people in their place of need and give them our time we give them our resources we use our abilities to help bring change in their life and they see that I matter and that God loves me I see that love through the person who represents him We lead that person who's seeking the answer to life. And by the way, the answer is to have a loving relationship with God. We lead that person who is seeking to come into a relationship with God where they see their sin, they see they need forgiveness, and they accept what Jesus has done for them. They've been saved from a life without meaning. And now we lead that person who was away from God, who has drawn near to God through our showing of love to the point of knowing God, now we lead that person who knows God to draw even closer to God to become more and more like Jesus as they themselves become servants to reach those people who also need the love of God. So ultimately, my being drawn near to God has taken me from someone who didn't know God to knowing God to being someone who shows other people just how much God loves them. That's what it looks like to be drawn near to God. And that's what we're supposed to be doing in the church, to help people along that pathway. But to do it, we have to be willing to be molded. We learn about drawing near to God actually through something Zephaniah said about the people of Jerusalem in the Old Testament. I want to read to you uh, this scripture. It's in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 2. She, talking about Jerusalem, Jerusalem obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. The reason why I use this scripture is because It's telling us what we don't do to draw near to God. To know what we do to draw near to God is just flip it and see the positive version of this. Well, let's look at it. On your outline sheet, let's fill it in. First of all, I need to be taught how to be obedient. Jerusalem was not obedient. I need to see what does it look like to be obedient. To be obedient is to show God's love to others. Let me put it this way. It's to put others before myself. When I put others before myself, I will be obedient to show God's love. Here's the next thing. I need others to correct me when I'm wrong. 
If I'm not being obedient, I need to be moldable. I need to be the person who allows others to point out areas of my life that are not right so that I can become better at showing God's love. Here's the third thing that we do when we draw near to God. I'm taught how to be obedient. I'm being correctable. It's drawing me closer to being who God wants me to be. And the third thing is I need help learning how to trust God. In other words, when things get tough, I stop trusting in my ability and what I can do. I trust in God and his ability and what he can do. I've been drawn near to God to put my faith and trust in him when things are hard and things are difficult. That's what it looks like to draw near to God. Who helps me do that? Let me think. The church, the body of Christ, helps me see what it is to be obedient, helps to correct me in areas where I'm wrong, and is there to encourage me to have faith in God when things get hard and difficult and tough in my life. I need the church in my life. I mean, I I think about the people who don't have the church and go through these things and the disaster that happens for them. Why is there disaster? Because they're swerving all over the place. They're crashing all over the place because they're not thinking about where it is that they're supposed to be. Why should I attend church? Let's look at something else. It helps me to live an honest life. This is in contrast to living the hypocritical life. To be a hypocrite is to be dishonest, to say I'm this, but I'm not. I need to be honest. Listen to what Jesus said about this. He said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. My heart is pure. In other words, my motivation is right. And my motivation has everything to do with God and who God wants me to be. Why? Because there are certain characteristics that are true about my life. One is I'm in love with God. I love God. And I want God to be pleased with who I am. And I want to show my love to God. In fact, it leads into the next thing. I want to show God's love to others. The way in which I prove my love to God is by me showing to other people that God loves them. I want to be that person who does that. I want to be the person who is a servant, who's helping to meet the needs of people who are around me. But there's a third thing that has to be true about me. It's this. I want to be who God created me to be by overcoming my weaknesses. In other words, I'm honest. I'm not a hypocrite. I said, I've said this even from up here before because people complain about, you know, all those hypocrites at the church and people have said the the church is a hospital for hypocrites. Y'all, I've said that before and I started thinking about that this week and I thought, you know what, that's just not even, that's not true. The, the, The church is not a hospital for hypocrites. And let me tell you why. Because hypocrites don't want their heart to change. They're dishonest. They don't want to change heart. They don't love God. They don't want to be different. They don't want to serve God. They want to serve themselves. The church is not a hospital for hypocrites. The church is a hospital for sinners who want to change. That's who the church is. But we have to be open and transparent about who we are and tell people what our weaknesses are so that we can find the needed help to bring change in our lives. I want to be in a church like that where people are not pretending anymore hypocritically, but are honest about who they really are. Don't you want to be in that kind of church? 
That's the type of church that draws us in because that's what all of us need because a church like that loves us in spite of our failures because we all know that we're broken and need the mercy of God in our lives. Why should I attend church? There's another one. It helps me to fulfill his purposes. It helps me to fulfill the purposes that God has for me. So what are the purposes that he has for me? Well, we need to remember what the main purpose is. People are searching, they're seeking, and what they're seeking for is the answer about what, what gives meaning to life. That's what we all want to know. What gives meaning to life? So a lot of those people, what they do is they begin to believe what gives meaning to my life is loving something. And what we've learned is that that never helps because those some things, those material possessions can't love us back. Then other people say this, that, well, what gives meaning to my life is loving someone. And when they're talking about someone, they're talking about a person. Um, And in that person, yes, we find value in loving a person, but here's the challenge with putting our faith and trust in loving a person. It's because people don't always love unconditionally. We are all sinful people, and there are times that we don't look at people in the right way and become self-centered. All of us have that problem. So therefore, that's not giving what we need. What we need and what gives meaning in my life is loving someone who loves me back and loves me, oh, y'all, this is good, unconditionally. He loves me unconditionally, even though I'm messed up and I'm broken and wants the very best for me, doesn't want to harm me, doesn't want to hurt me, wants the best for me. That's what gives meaning in my life. I need somebody who loves me. And Jesus came to find those people to help them find their way to God. That's why we see in the Bible Jesus' personal purpose statement. I've said it so many times before. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Let's read it out loud together. Here we go. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man is Jesus. Let me remind you that we are the body of Christ now. Jesus came to help people who were seeking, who were lost because they were trying to rely on things that don't love them back or trying to love, rely on people who don't love them unconditionally and they keep seeking, seeking and they keep finding themselves lost. They're swerving all over the place. So he came to help them find God's love. We are the body of Christ. I want you to uh, think about it this way. As you came in this morning, everybody was given a little piece of a puzzle. So I want to show you the puzzle right now that that's a piece of. We're the body of Christ, and there he is. If we put all the pieces of the puzzles together that we gave out this weekend, it would form this awesome picture of Jesus walking down Longboat Key. That's what I'm thinking. Are, Are you thinking that? Kind of looks like Longboat Key to me. I'm not sure if it is or not, but it's cool that we found one uh, looking at the beach. In fact, when uh, I was talking to Daniel about this, it's like, it'd be cool if we could find one on the beach, you know, kind of be local, right? It's Jesus. We are the body of Christ. So for us to be the body of Christ, what do I have to do to make sure that I am becoming the body of Christ? There are certain 
purposes that we have as the body of Christ that help us work together to become who he wants us to be as agents of love. That's what I want to teach you right now. And we read about it by looking at what the early church did in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see within this five different purposes that they fulfilled in being the body of Christ to be who they wanted them to be. The first thing they did was they reached the lost, to reach the lost. In verse 47, it said this, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We have to be people who begin here. The purpose statement of Jesus for the Son of Man came to seek and save the who? The lost. The reason we're here is to lead people into the kingdom of God. Y'all, that is the primary purpose. God wants people to know they are loved and wants them in the kingdom. We have to get them into the kingdom, so we have to reach people who are lost. So we have to be thinking about people who are in our circles of influence, who don't know God, maybe in our family, maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker or somebody else that we know. We need to be thinking about them and how can I show the love of God to that person? When will I show the love of God to that person? I'll tell you when. It's when we do the second thing. It's to grow, to become more like Jesus. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to prayer. They were listening to the apostles teach them about Jesus and what Jesus had taught them and teaching them about who they were supposed to be as people. This is really cool because the next series that we're going into, uh, starting after, after uh, Memorial Day, is we're in, in, a, in a series called A Life Written in Red. And we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus because in the Bible, it has a lot of red letters in the Bible, you know, the words of Jesus. And we're going to listen to what Jesus said to the people to teach them about who it is that we're to be as people like him. It's really cool. So if I grow and I become like Jesus, then I will be a person who is reaching the lost. But what else will I be doing? It's the third thing. I'll be serving them to serve those who are in need. In verse 45, it said, they sold their possessions and goods as people had need. They were making sacrifices for people who were in need. It could have been an emotional need. It could have been a physical need. It could have been a relationship, social need where a family was breaking apart. It could have been a mental need where people were needing to make some good, wise decisions all in hopes to be able to to help them see their spiritual need of trusting in God. That's what we're to do. We're to serve those around us. So as a piece, if I'm a piece of the Jesus puzzle, am I reaching the lost? Am I growing to become like Jesus? Am I serving people around me to reveal God's love to them? Here's a a fourth thing. It's to connect with others in community, that we are to come together. It says that they broke bread together in their homes. Y'all, they hung out with each other. They gave their time to be with people that they loved and liked because it was meaningful to them. And that's what we do when we have people around us. Why? Because they keep us from being terrible spiritual drivers, right? Don't forsake 
the assembling of yourselves together so you can live a life that's unswerving, so that you can live a life where you're continuing to show the love of God. I need to be with other Christians and believers who can encourage me and help me and support me to be the person that I need to be. And the final one is to worship, is to worship the one who created us and loves us. I need to worship God. Every day they met together in the temple courts. They would come together and worship the Lord together. Y'all, it's important for us to worship God. The word worship means this. It means meeting with God. It's to meet with God. When I, was, I learned that definition when I was in seminary in New Orleans, okay? One of our professors said, the word worship means to meet with God. And I thought, that's such a simple definition, but it's a great definition. It's to meet with God. We want to help people who've never met with God have their very first meeting with God, their first worship experience. But we also need to meet with God because worshiping energizes our batteries. I don't know, I, I can't remember if I told you about the scooters that we just got. Did I tell you about the scooters? We just, I sold my motorcycle, my Harley Davidson, all right. It was a big life change for me. There are reasons, there's marital things involved and stuff like that, but anyway. I sold it. So anyway, I was like, okay, well, I need something. So we got scooters. So we got these electric scooters. You know the little kick scooters you do this? They have electric ones now. They're really cool. They go really fast, all right? So we got two scooters. My scooter, it's just awesome. It will go 24 miles on one charge. But when it's done, it's done. I'm thinking about getting flames to put on the side of it. I haven't gotten them yet. When it's done, it's done. I have to recharge the battery so I can keep, go keep going. I'm going somewhere with this. Worship is what recharges your batteries. Worship is what energizes you to remind you that there's a God who loves you and it keeps you going. The people who don't attend church and don't worship are sitting on the side of the road because they swerved and they have no juice left in their cars, right? They have nowhere to go. They need to go. It looks like I'm finished with the message, but I'm not. Okay, so I wanna, I'm a very visual person. I'm going to go through this as quickly as I possibly can, okay? But I, this is, I, I, when I see things, it makes things a lot more clear to me. And we use terminology around here a lot. And I want to pull in the words that we say and the, the thoughts that we have here about leadership and what we're trying to accomplish all together by showing you this illustration. It all begins with us trying to reach someone. And we're going to call this person, we're giving him a name. His name is Dot. Okay, this kid? I thought it was funny the last service, too, and nobody thought it was funny either. This is Dot. Okay, anyway, Dot is a seeker. We're trying to reach this person who's seeking. They don't have a relationship with God. They're seeking answers for their life. What is the most important thing in my life? What gives me meaning in life? It's either something or someone, right? Something doesn't love us back. Someone who loves us conditionally doesn't work. I'm still seeking the answer to my life. I need them to see there's a God who loves them even though they're imperfect. So what happens? I reach out to that person and I show love to that person even though they may not deserve it to help them see that God cares for you and I want to help meet your need to prove that love. And their eyes are open. It leads Dot to a new location. He now believes there's a God, knows he has sin in his life and wants a relationship with God and he becomes saved. He's saved from a, meaningful, a, a meaningless life. Now he has a life of meaning. But now, as this person has been drawn close to God, remember we just learned that, 
We've drawn someone who didn't know God closer to God to have a relationship with God. We're still drawing this person toward God because we want that person to become more like Jesus to, to lead to the last place where he becomes what? A servant. Because that's what Jesus did. He came to serve people who were in need. So we want to help people get to that point where they're like Jesus and serve. So who do they serve? Well, they serve the seeker. In fact, that's the reason why they started being drawn close to God to start off with. Because somebody else showed love to them. Somebody else was meeting their needs. But now, I'm a person who is looking for this person to, to meet those needs. There are two things that we hear a lot around here. The everyday matters mantra, right? Everyday matters. It's a day to love God and love others and do something about it. Everything we do to lead a seeker to be saved is called loving God. We're leading them to love God. And they come into this loving relationship with him. And once they get into that loving relationship with them, we're trying to help them develop to become like Jesus. And what Jesus did is he loved others. So we're loving others. Every day is a great day to love God and love others and do something about it. Y'all, it's starting to make sense now, isn't it? That's what we're trying to do. Well, I need to get this person, Dot, from this place to this place. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach that person. Reaching is leading a lost person who doesn't know God to have a relationship with him. That's, that's evangelism. Remember, we just learned that. That's one of our purposes. So I have to be thinking about people who don't have a relationship with God and doing things to help them make their way to God. And they're somewhere along this pathway. They may be far away from God and not even thinking about God and very skeptical because of people in the church or other things. Or they might be getting closer to God, but I'm continuing to reach them to lead them to this point. Once they become a, a, a saved person, I want them to grow. I want them to grow in their relationship with God to become more like Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to prayer. Why? To remember what Jesus said and to talk to God so that they could become like Jesus. And once I grow, I begin to serve. The word serve. I serve this person. Now remember, you might be anywhere along this line, but... You may be somewhere along this line. You might be a brand new Christian, or you might be a Christian in a while, but you haven't grown in your faith. And maybe you're still kind of down here, or maybe you're growing in your faith and learning more about God, learning more about who he is. You're not quite here yet. Some of you might be here. Everybody's at some place. What happens is we serve people all along this line. Some people serve here. We all serve this person who's lost. Every one of us serve this person. But it might be through your spiritual giftedness, God has given you a specific ability to serve people who are here, who know a little bit about God, but need to learn more about God. Or somebody who is serving someone here who is a brand new believer and you're good about teaching discipleship, or you're serving someone here to help them train and learn more about ministry and how to get engaged. God's used your giftedness as the body of Christ for us to be the body of Christ. We're all using our gifts to move people along this line. Does it all make sense so far? In the middle, there's a heart. In the heart represents our love, our passion. This is cool. Whatever we love the most is our God. Whatever we love the most or whoever we love the most, we talk about. That's reaching. We tell people about. We learn about. We grow and learn more about them. And we do things for because of our love for them. So no matter who our God is, you're an evangelist and you're a disciple and you're somebody who serves because whoever your God is. Isn't that cool? 
So if God is our God, that means he is the one that we love the absolute most. And because we love him the most, guess who we worship? We worship God. And guess who we form relationships with? We form relationships with other people who also love God in fellowship and connection and community with other people. Because of our love for God, we have given ourselves fully to him in worship, and we give ourselves to each other as we help support each other in what we do. Is everybody following me so far? Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what the church looks like. I want to talk to you about some different types of churches. There's one type of church who's really good at doing this, at leading people who are seekers to be saved. They're great at it. But they're not really good about leading somebody who's saved to become a servant. They don't do a lot in discipleship and helping them grow and learn more about Jesus and pray and get engaged and all those things. This is what they do well. And this church has a name. It's called a revolving door church. They come in the church, people get saved, and then they leave because they don't make any connection with people in the church, and they don't begin to grow. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Churches like this. It's a revolving door. People are in and out, in and out, in and out. There's another type of church, and before I tell you the name of this church, y'all, it's going to sound really bad, okay? It really is. So give me a chance to explain it before you cop an attitude about me, all right? Because you need to understand where it comes from. There are some churches who don't do this at all. They don't do this. They're just concerned about this. Here it is. It's called a cancerous church, okay? And the reason why it's a cancerous church is because I'm only concerned about what I want, These are statements that you hear in churches like this. I don't like, y'all ever heard that in a church before? Or I want, you hear that a lot in a church. Those are very self-centered things. Remember, y'all listen, remember what we learned about life and how it's supposed to be lived. The unswerving life is a life that stays on the road. It's a life about giving and not about getting. Giving is selfish. Getting is selfish. So what happens to people in this church, they're only concerned about what they're getting from the church. What are you giving me? Give me this type of worship. Give me this type of study. Give me this type of ministry. Give me this. Give me this. Give me this. This is what I want. And if you do something that I don't want, I don't like it. And they say things like that. And this church tends to fall apart and they begin fighting against each other. Some of y'all know this this type of church, right? It's truth, right? This is what happens. Because we forgot about the reason we're here. We're not here to get. We're here to do this. We're here to give. We're here to reach the people. But for us to be able to reach the people, it all has to work together. So there's this other type of church. We're going to call it, we're just going to circle it all. Okay, let's circle it all. And it's called the healthy church. The healthy church. It does it all. That's who we're supposed to be. It's all balanced. Now, now that you think I'm done, I'm not. Okay, so uh, there's two other types of churches. We're going to call this a leaning church. We've got churches that lean left. It's not a political statement. <laughs> lean this way. They lean toward evangelism, and, but they, they do some discipleship, but they're much stronger toward evangelism, but they are doing some discipleship. Or there's a church that leans this way, They're doing a lot of discipleship. They're doing some evangelism. They're doing some things to reach people who don't know God, but they're they're not doing enough, but they're doing some of that. They're mostly toward discipleship. I I just want to be completely honest with you, okay? 
this is just my opinion, which I think is, well, it's always right, so it must be right. So anyway, uh, just kidding. That is a picture of Woodland. We're, uh, we lean toward discipleship. We do evangelism. We do things for evangelism. We're trying to reach people who are lost. But we're a whole lot better about education and teaching, all of these other things, and not putting enough effort and emphasis on the other thing. And let me, I just want to be completely honest with you, okay? Let me tell you how I know we're leaning this way. I, and this is not a complaint. I'm just telling you reality. Y'all were church. No church is perfect, okay? No church is perfect. The reason why I know we're leaning that way is because of the I wants and I don't likes that we're hearing and the absence of I will. You see, that's the difference. It's I will do what you want me to do. I'm not calling anybody's name. I'm not talking about anybody who's been here and left or any of that. So y'all, people leave for different reasons, so don't make any assumptions about anything. If you do, shame on you, okay? It's not it. It's easy for us to be like this, is it not? It's easy for us to start thinking about what we want and what we like and what we want to get. And I'll be honest with you, one of the, one of the main places we hear about that is in this experience that we're in right now called worship. And this is not this, this isn't the, the challenge just at Woodland. It's churches everywhere. It's like, I like that music. I don't like this music. I like this. I like that. Whatever. I just want to remind you of something. I, I'm getting closer to the end, obviously. I'm always getting closer to the end. We want to be healthy. Let me remind you about something. Last, last slide. Last slide that gives you hope, okay? We're all somewhere along these lines. See the arrows somewhere along this line? In this experience, a worship experience, we want to reach people who don't know God. We want them to be in this room, this seeker, to help them have their first meeting with God. And we know that there are people in this room today who are the greatest of godly saints and servants. They're all the way over here. It's awesome. They're really strong in their relationship with Christ. But there are people all along this pathway. And we all worship differently, y'all. And it's easy for us to make judgments about people, about how they worship, whether they lift their hands or whether they sing or they stand or they don't stand. Y'all, I, I see it, me and Jennifer, in our own lives. I'm the guy who will stand and lift my hands and all that stuff. I've said this before about Jennifer. Y'all, if Jennifer raised her hand in a service, I would have to stop the service and ask her if she had a question. Okay, seriously. <laughs> She's not going to do that. She loves God. She loves God. She's the person who's not necessarily the one who wants to stand up the whole time and do all this. I mean, she'd probably be happier just sitting there and looking at the words and all these kind of, that's who she is. We worship differently, don't we? We do what we do in a service like this, for example, to reach all these people. Do you want to know why Select was here today doing their dance and their number? Because we're trying to reach this group of people right here in this room today. We're trying to reach all of us. It's a great message for all of us. But look, people who are lost, they don't know what it is to worship God. They don't know what it is to stand and sing a bunch of songs that they don't know. Do they expect there's going to be some standing and singing in a worship service? Absolutely they do. I mean, they know that much about church. And we want that experience. We want to stand and we want to worship and we want to do that. But we also want to do things to reach that person. That's why we'll say sometimes, look, just remain seated. This is a special music song. We don't want you to sing. Just sit there and listen to this. Why? Because we're trying to reach that person. 
and we're trying to reach the person who doesn't necessarily like to sing all the songs, and we're trying to reach the person through a message that we're trying to say to people in the room. It's really cool for our worship team because our worship team, this is their opportunity to be able to talk to the lost people in the room. Isn't that cool? That's exciting. But we all have ideas about how it all should be done. And what I want, I think it's important for all of us to know is we want to reach people all along the pathway. And we don't want to exclude people. We want people to know that God loves them. That's why we're so creative. That's why we do dance. That's why we'll do a, a, a sketch. Or that's why we'll do an artistic rendering. Or we'll do some video. Or we'll do all those kind of things. There are three things that really describe our church well. Community. We want this to be a family. Culture. We want to change the culture of this city and this nation and this world through the love of Jesus and creativity. That God uses our creativity to meet people where they are. I want to be a part of a church like that. So what is the question that I need to ask myself? Tim, what are you going to say? I want or I will? Because Jesus was all about, I will. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and go to the Lord in prayer. It might be that God's leading you right now to come to know Him. It may be that you don't have a relationship with God. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. In just a few moments, back in the back to my right, to your left, there are some high tops and some banners that say the journey begins. We have some of our counselors back there who would love to talk with you more about what it is to give your life to Jesus to accept the forgiveness of sins in your life, to realize just how much God loves you. In fact, we're going to hear some music in just a second, and when we do, I just invite you just to head back there. When you hear the music start, just head back there, and they would love to, to talk with you. It might be that you have some issue in your life. Y'all, this, I will say this about Woodland. This is a, not a church of judgment. We are transparent people who are all messed up. So if that sounds good to you, welcome. And it might be there's something in your life that you need prayer about today. So we have some of our staff who will be down in the front who would love to pray with you and encourage you in any way they possibly can. Whatever God is leading you to do to connect with him, we want to encourage you to do it right now. So let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to pray with someone, come and pray. If you, need, if you have questions about knowing God, head back talk with them, or just pray where you are, whatever God's leading you to pray to Him. And let's do it right now. The way life begins to fall On the name of Jesus I will call For I know my God is in control his purpose is unshakable. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I see. My hope will always be your promises to me. And now I'm casting out all fear. For your love has set me free.
You're so good. Thank you for just everything that you've taught us over these last many weeks of learning how to respond to the skeptics of this world who feel like they have no need for you. God, we all need you. We all need you. And I pray, God, that in humility, we would come to know just how much we need you. God, I pray that we would be the church that you want us to be. God, we know that not every church is perfect. Not, any, not every church is completely healthy. We get it. But we're so grateful that you've brought together this body of believers, this group of people to be here, to be your agent of love in the place that we live. So use us, God, to help people know that they matter and that you want them and long to have them in your kingdom. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.